Hey, welcome back to Dad Conversations. A few days ago, I spoke to Russ Vaughn. Russ is a senior solutions engineer at VMware. We used to work together at Cisco, and I can tell you he's an amazing engineer, and he's well-respected for his technical acumen, plus his good nature and sense of humor. Russ discusses his journey as someone who didn't go to university, starting out in entry-level sales jobs, eventually finding his way into technical roles. He really dug into becoming an expert, and that paid off with him winning an award as Engineer of the Year. He talks about his life, career, and now parenthood as a father of a young boy. Now, if you enjoy this episode, please go ahead and subscribe to the show. The next episodes will include a heart-wrenching first-hand account of my friend's journey as the father of a baby who needed three open-heart surgeries before his third birthday. Seriously, I just recorded that one today, and you don't want to miss it, so look out for that one. We will also hear from a restaurant manager, a tech sales VP, and many others. I'll introduce you to many successful, interesting, normal dads. I'll talk with each of them about their different areas of expertise, their life stories and philosophies, and their approach to being dads. All right, time to hear from Russ. Enjoy. Russ, thanks for being here, man. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, we worked together. You know, we were working on like an eighty million dollar deal for one of the largest tech companies in the world, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't win that deal. But I got to see you in your element as a systems engineer. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's casting your mind back a fair while, to be honest. That was uh, wow, last year. Yeah, I think yeah, it was sort about of mid- eighteen months ago. Yeah, so well, well remembered. Yeah, was <laughs> Raleigh, wasn't it? In Raleigh for a week. That's right. Yeah, That's that right. was good fun. Very good fun. <laughs> so uh, Cisco's got hundreds of brilliant systems engineers, maybe thousands, um, but you were hands down the best engineer I've ever worked with. So I wanted to give you some uh, due recognition for the awesome work you do. Dude, you're making me blush. That 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 was actually completely unexpected, but thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um when you took a new job at VMware a few months ago, you posted on LinkedIn that uh, you know, looking back at your career at Cisco, how you'd started out with imposter syndrome and and progressed to earning SE of the year and and making chairman's club. And I was shocked because like I've seen the SE of the year version of Russell, but not the early days Russell who struggled with imposter syndrome. So uh, I thought it'd be cool to have you on and kind of tell me a little about your your starting point and your progression as an engineer. And uh, it may be helpful maybe to start with an explanation of, of what is a systems engineer. Yeah, sure. No worries. Um, and, and it may actually come as a bit of a surprise. You, you say about uh, imposter syndrome in, in the early days. Uh, I don't think there's really anybody that doesn't have imposter syndrome at some point or another. It's uh, it's something that, that goes with you in a lot of ways uh, as sort of a companion in a way. So it, it's just something that you, you live with. You, you sort of grow into a role rather than necessarily feeling straight off the bat that you are the perfect fit for it. You have to take a degree of, for want of a better phrase, risk. Um, 
and it, it, it's there as a motivator to a point, but it, for me at least, it was a motivator and always has been in terms of go into a situation and think, wow, hold on a second. I need to uh, to make sure my, my game's at top level for this. And, and you just, you go with it. And there's, there's friends of mine that I've, I've worked with over the years that are from various ages uh, in terms of people new in career, all the way through to people that are incredibly senior sort of CTO, distinguished engineer level, that, that they still have that scenario as well. It's, uh, it's quite common. I just don't think it's necessarily spoken about quite as much as, uh, as people would normally in other ways. Probably right. But uh, yeah, so a systems engineer or systems architect, what, what is it? So it's, uh, it's a great question. Uh, one that uh, if I was to be a little bit fly about it, I'd say the answer is it depends because that's typically the answer that an SE gives to every single question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just because we can. Um, so a systems engineer or a systems architect, the, the way I look at that is, in essence, you, you are there as that conduit, the technical advisor, if you will, that trusted party to work alongside your customer, understand the DNA of the customer, look at what they're trying to achieve as an organization. What are their business challenges? What are their technical challenges? Uh, what's an area they need to improve? What's an area they need to reduce as an impact point on the organization? And be able to take those aspects and map that to uh, tools, solutions, platforms, products, offerings that you have uh, within your organization and actually map them together in such a way that they make sense to people. Being able to, I guess, take an incredibly complex and broad topic or deep topic, depending on the view you want to take, uh, and be able to make that consumable to business people, for example. So I could go and end up one day talking about an incredibly complicated technical widget. Um, but in reality, the business doesn't care if it's an incredibly technical widget, provided it means that they can make uh, a positive return on their investment or they can reduce the overall costs over a period of time or they can have some aspect brought to the table that's going to be of a benefit to them for the outlay they're going to make. And that's really what the systems engineer, solutions engineer, solution systems architect role is really all about. I, I sort of merged them all together as an SE, really, in terms of you're there to understand the customer. You're there to understand what you have in terms of capabilities as an organization, as a business, and to be able to marry those things together. And it's, it's a really cool blend of technology and, and commercial aspect, which for me, it's good because, hey, I'm a geek and I, I know that and celebrate it, say it loud and say it proud, right? Yeah, um, it's uh, it's one of those cool things, and I, I I feel incredibly lucky, in all honesty, to have been able to evolve as I have done from from as you say those sort of early days when I first joined uh, Cisco back in two thousand five uh, up to today uh, in in my relatively fresh role at, uh, at VMware. I mean, it's only four four and a half months in now, but. You know, really good uh, experiences so far. So really enjoying it. Good. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the best explanation I've heard of uh, systems engineers. So appreciate you breaking that down. Um, tell me a little about your your early days as a as an SE. Um, what was your you know background going into it? What were some of the things that you struggled with? What were some of the tools that you already had in your toolbox? And then maybe some of the tools you kind of developed over time. 
Yeah, it's, it's, that's actually a really interesting one in terms of I, I didn't actually start out in a technical thought process. Uh, I actually started, as much as I was a geek at heart, I, I was really interested in technology. I, I actually started in a distribution telephone sales role. Uh, did that for a spell. Uh, didn't necessarily feel as I was very good at it, uh, even though I was told I was doing pretty well. Uh, it didn't really gel with me. I wasn't really feeling it. So I ended up uh, interviewing for a, an alternative role in the business I was in at that time. and Didn't really feel I'd done particularly well in that interview, but uh, it, it was one of those turning points for me in my life, I think, that I had gone into this interview feeling that if I didn't do this and do it well, that my career in IT was going to be over. Uh, and really, this was before it even started. I mean, I'd only been in that business for seven months, fresh out of college. And confidence was something I was sorely lacking. Uh, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't really appreciate at times is people's confidence goes in peaks and troughs. It could be up one day, down another. Uh, it could be up one week and down another week. It, it varies for different people, but nobody's ever top of the tree in terms of confidence all day long for the rest of. But I, I was low on sort of confidence at that point. So that was me saying, if I don't nail this, I'm going to uh, to probably walk away from IT forever. Uh, luckily, as far as I'm concerned, I was successful in getting that role. And I was one of four people to uh, to take on that sort of position at that time. And it was... It was around the uh, around the fallout, really, of the bubble bursting. And it, it was an interesting time to go out there and, and try and be positioning technology. So working a lot in, in the public sector area, and I, I showed an aptitude for the technology aspect. And it was learning about the product sets at the time. It was, uh, it was actually an organization called Foundry Networks, uh, which way, way back when were industry leading at what they did. Uh, they subsequently got acquired by Brigade. Uh, but I worked with those guys for a heck of a long time. And that's really where I cut my teeth on the technology aspect. And it really gave me the bug to just go out and learn as much as I could around the technology. So networking, routing, switching, security, data center, applications, storage, all those sort of things. Just trying to go out there and, and gain an understanding about the technology and how that could help the business I was trying to sell to or work with. And yeah, it, it went from there and ended up moving between a couple of different companies and ended up actually competing with Cisco toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe a few times in the, the sort of channel role I was in or the, the reseller role I was in. And more often than not, one versus loss. Then I got a phone call one day saying, would you be interested in, uh, in maybe having a look at this role at Cisco? So, yeah, why not? I've, I've been this side of the fence before for so long, so why don't I see how things are on the other side? And I, I went through the interview with Cisco. It was, uh, it was nine interviews in the end I went through. And uh, it, it was interesting at the time because I, I did have that whole imposter syndrome feeling again. It was like, at the time, it's like, oh, wow, Cisco, largest telecoms vendor on the planet. Uh, and they're interested in me potentially coming to work for them. This is nuts. And I was 24 at the time. So realistically, uh, still pretty young. Um, 
and I, I went through this interview process, was successful getting a job, and, and my first day came down to uh, the Bedford Lakes office just by Heathrow, and I, I was just pulled up in the car, and I'm looking at this place thinking, wow, um, this is impressive. And I walked in there, and we've gone through. It was a full week spent down in uh, in Bedford, and I, I remember thinking at the end of the first day, like, "Wow, this is awesome! Uh, I really hope I can be successful here." But I've got a real concern that I might only be here for like six months before they realise I'm not very good. And that was sort of a motivator for me to just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing to actually do good things. And I, I made some immense friendships over those years. I mean, I was in that particular area of Cisco for, for nine years in terms of public sector, primarily focused on university space, education, higher education specifically, um, but also did a lot in public sector, helped out in other areas as well, some of the enterprise side of things. And then, uh, we, well, I'd, I'd won a lot of opportunities with first of their kind technology for the UK and Ireland, which was really awesome. And as I said, 2005 was when I joined. Um, it was 2008. We were in San Francisco for the Cisco Global Sales Kickoff, GSM as it was, the Global Sales Meeting. And there was the, the sort of tiering where you, you, know, you had achiever, you've done your goal for the year. There was sales champion you'd done over a certain percentage and you were you were good there was a, a certain percentage of people in that category and then there was this sort of halcyon zenith level if you will of chairman's club which was the top one percent globally uh, and at that time from memory it was like 70 some odd thousand people in cisco globally and i, I remember it fondly actually because I, I was sat in the audience in the uk and i break out in, in my sales champion deck alongside of uh, a couple of my friends Hannah and Stuart and we were just chatting away and um, our, our new uh, VP I think uh, came up on stage for the UK and Ireland and was talking away and I, I suddenly got a, a punch on the shoulder from from Hannah saying go on get up there I was like what what do you mean and I looked up at the screen they're presenting and there's my picture which I was actually talking to a friend earlier today about how I need to get my directory photo changed as it is now. Uh, but my, my Cisco directory picture made me look like I was about 10 years old. And there's this face staring back at me off the stage. I'm thinking, oh my word, what is going on here? But I, I charged up there and shook hands, well done. And it was me getting the SC of the Year Award for the UK and Ireland, which I, I had never in my wildest dreams ever thought that sort of thing could happen to me. Um, I, I'd always said at a very young age that I, I wanted to be the best of the best. And to me, it was a case of, right, I've joined Cisco. I've joined the best. Now I've got to be the best of the best. And I, I felt that I'd gotten to a reasonable degree at that time. And when I got that award, I was just on cloud nine. It was just insane. I, I did not expect that in any way, shape or form. And I remember the the closing session we had uh, john chambers rick justice chris dedicote as the execs up on stage and they, they'd rattle through per region who from the sales champion group that had been awarded already who got chairman's club and 
I was sat there with my friends and we're all sort of cheering each other on and, and hoping that one of us got this, this really interesting. It was only the second year they'd actually done it from memory. Um, and when my name came up, I just could not believe it. I really couldn't. So I, I was just like, wow, stood up. And I, I heard friends of mine from, from the UK side so cheering off to one aspect of the, uh, the theatre. It was like, wow, that's, that, sent, that gave me goosebumps. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up because it made me feel that I was good at what I did. And not just as, a, as an engineer, not just as an SE, but as a friend and as a, a solid work colleague. Yeah, that was, it was warm and fuzzy, I think, is the only feeling I can apply to it. So got up on stage, shaking hands with the guys and got, uh, got to go to Hawaii for a week to say thanks very much. And that was just awesome. Really, really awesome thing to experience. And I just went from there, in fairness. It's, uh, as I said, nine years doing public sector, and then I, I ended up moving to work in, in what was called the the GET team with the Global Enterprise Theatre that was rebranded as GUEST, the Global Enterprise Segment, that ended up being rebranded again, uh, and I worked for the Americas. So I was reporting into uh, New York, in fairness, looking after one of Cisco's largest global enterprise customers. And I was the, the lead global technical architect from, from a particular area there and covering all sorts of data center technologies, um, software defined stuff, shall we say. And I remember then, you know, first day on the job, I, I really didn't expect to get the job, if I'm honest. I, I put my hat in the ring as a, well, I know there's a role open. I was encouraged to audition for it. And in my mind, it was more should we say interview practice than it was actually going for this job in, in reality or in my mind, that was where I was at, but I still prepared for it because I really, really wanted it, but I had no illusions that I was going to get it. And remarkably I felt I got it. Uh, and I remember my manager at the time telling me that this is you know, the nature of global enterprise, you know, the first 12 months or so you're going to have to get to know the customer because there's so many different facets to it. Year two, you'll start to maybe make your mark around things. And year three, you'll start to see output of what you've been able to do. And it was amazing. It was such an eye-opening thing because in, inside Cisco, in, in my mind, there were different tiers as well in terms of where you were at, in terms of capability and uh, environments that you were working in. And it was always seen as being the global enterprise is like the most innovative areas. They were doing all these super-sized mega deals, that sort of thing. And to be on that side of the fence, all of a sudden was like, wow. And yeah, like that's, that's where you and I met, right? 18 months or so ago in terms of big opportunity, big project, let's go see what we can do. And yeah, the, the sort of the last three, four years at Cisco, just working on some really awesome projects, awesome opportunities, some really, really interesting, deep and meaningful technology discussions, business outcomes, uh, and made some really long lasting friends in that as well. And it got to the point where I, I decided I needed to have a bit of a change. And like I say, four and a bit months or so ago, I, I started here at VMware. And again, you know, that imposter syndrome piece rationalized itself right at the beginning. And, uh, it's like, you know, you, you've got to prove you're good. And <laughs> Came right back. <laughs> there you go. 
So when you look back at the maybe the last 15 years or so as an engineer, um, what are some of the lessons you learned? And that could be technical, personal, interpersonal, it could be organizational. Like what are some of the lessons that rise top of the list that you learned in the last few years, last 15 years? I remember fondly a phrase that someone told me when I was first starting out, which was, we have two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. And I, I think there are scenarios where people forget to listen. And that's not just in terms of being an engineer, a systems engineer or, or salesperson, but as, as a human being, we sometimes forget that we have ears and a mouth and it's a two to one ratio and listen to what people are saying, understand what they're saying. And the, the more you can understand, the more you listen, the more you take it on board, the more effective your relationships can be from both the professional perspective and a uh, sort of social perspective in that regard. Um, in addition, an area that, that I did struggle with for a little while was understand that things can go wrong. Things do go wrong, but it's not going to be the end of the world and it isn't going to define you as a person. So taking responsibility is good, but taking responsibility too far and feeling like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders for the outcome of something isn't healthy for anybody. And it, it's about having some sort of balance in mind in terms of work life in the first instance, but also having a realization that it, it is as much as we're involved in, in technology and we do some great things around enablement for business outcomes and such, you know, it, it's still, at the end of the day, something that you, you do as a job um, and it doesn't define you for your life. It doesn't define you the, the outcomes of your life. It helps enable things, but it doesn't define your life. So just really having that work-life balance piece was, was something that I, I took away as, as something that needed to be worked on. And it, it's something you need to work on on a regular basis, or at least I did, because going from, <clears throat> pardon me, a sort of single bloke uh just constantly on the go in terms of work 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 party 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 work 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 um settling down and, and realizing that work is good um family is great and really just having that that aspect in there as well is is really important nice so for the non-technical listeners out there uh, please tell them a little about VMware and the types of projects you get to work on in your new role. Sure. So VMware uh, as an organization have been effectively a pioneer around virtualization for a long time. So being able to create abstractions, being able to define things in software that ordinarily would need big physical monolithic platforms to work with and being able to provide end user experiences, being able to provide cloud experiences, being able to do really holistic, secure 
end-to-end -end strategy around data center and cloud, for example, this any device, any application, anywhere, anytime, or as I call it, the, the sort of martini model. Um, and from that side, I, I work in a very specific area in terms of delivering uh, and supporting what we call the network and security business unit. So I, I work around the NSX platform. It's, it's quite a, a broad array of, of solutions that we have in, in terms of the kit bag. But I, I get to be involved in all sorts of conversations around true migrations for customers, talking about security projects. I mean, we, we've done a lot of really innovative stuff over the past six months inside VMware that I've been very fortunate to be exposed to from pretty early doors. Um, and it's been really interesting for me in terms of learning those bits and, and also realizing the impact that that can have on our customers and, and really improving the quality of solutions that they can acquire and, and actually be confident uh, around the, the reduction in complexity and being able to get a lot more bang for their buck, shall we say, around that security threat. So it's, it's been really exciting. And and it's early doors yet, by the way, man. It's, uh, there's some really cool stuff going on. Nice. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and get to know you. So tell me, where'd you grow up? What type of kid were you? And what were some of your interests? Wow. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I am originally from a border market town uh, on the border between England and Wales, a place called Oswestry. And I was born and bred in a small village called Mordor, uh, not to be confused with Mordor. Um, it was uh, a really, really small village. I mean, my primary school, I think from memory, we had a grand total of 72 kids. Uh, and in my year, there were six of us in the grand scheme of things. So I was literally just this sort of country mouse, if you will, uh, in, in literally the border between England and Wales. And I, I was, uh, I guess, a good kid. I, I like to think I was studious and did okay. Uh, it, it always seemed to be like my school report to be saying attainment level, high effort level, not great. You could do better. Um, and I think I sort of coasted a little bit in that regard, but I, I did all the relevant schooling. I ended up going to college here in the UK and got some A-levels and such after doing quite some time there and, and ended up going, as I say, pretty much straight into industry from that level. I, I decided I didn't really want to do university and I feel somewhat vindicated to having not done that in fairness. And um, yeah, and for those who are in the US, uh, could you explain the distinction between college and university? Yeah, so in the UK, we, we have different sort of brackets on, on ages. So primary school would be sort of uh, four or five years old up to 11 years old. Uh, 11 through 16 would be secondary school. Uh, then we would have 16 through 18 is typically what we would call the college years. Uh, and then 18 through 20 something, depending on what course you're doing and, and what you want to achieve is when you'd be at university. So slightly different to what the uh, the US has in terms of, you guys call it college, what we would call university, right? So you- Right, got, it's uh, inter, 
interchangeable terms there for meaning four years after high school, starting at usually around 18. But I think it's interesting in the UK, you guys kind of do a a somewhat specialized college experience at age starting at 16 for two years, right? Uh, Where you you kind of go into a general track there or is it uh, open-ended? Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. So in terms of the whole curriculum, when you, you go into secondary school, let's say, so 11 through 16, you're on a, a certain key stage three generic, uh, so 11, 12, 13-ish, uh, when you, you finish that year nine, as we call it. Then year 10, year 11, the last couple of years that you're in that particular educational facility for, uh, you're doing your what's called GCSEs. Uh, which is the general certificate of secondary education and it's basically the examinations that you're doing and you're a little bit more fine-tuned on what you're going to be doing but you've still got i think 12 13 subjects that you go through um stem being a a major component of that of course so science technology english and mathematics uh, and and other associated points as well but then engineering or english uh, English or engineering. Uh, I mean, for us, we for did STEM. Side of things. Okay. Me, STEM, I, engineering, absolutely the right thing to say, I guess. Um, but obviously English in our area was one of the, the prime topics that you had to do. You, you were not able to not do it. Uh, whereas engineering, realistically, for me at that time, it, it wasn't even an option. It was, uh, believe it or not, we, we used to call them technology. It was design technology, information technology. And design technology was very much a case of woodwork or metalwork, maybe a degree of uh, some architectural schematics, like how to draw out what you're going to do with your woodwork, that sort of thing, but not engineering in the form that I know it today. Gotcha. So you went straight from college, so at age 18, straight into industry, is that right? Well, I, I actually did a three-year stint in college. So I, I did the first two years doing my A-levels and, and a couple of AS-levels. Then I decided to do an extra year to do some extra uh, education. I just wanted to do some extra A-levels effectively just to, I guess, feed the geek in me a little bit. Um, and I, I still hadn't really made my mind up what I wanted to do after college. It was like, do I want to do university or do I not? Um, and just sorry to, to circle back to your question, when, when you say about the, the, the general track or open-ended, when you're in college here in the UK, you choose your specific subjects. And typically you'd see three, maybe four subjects, and that would be you. you you'd be focused on just those for that duration. Uh, and I, I think I did about six or seven in the end across the A-level, AS level. Um, it, it was a great experience, good fun. And at the end of it, decided that I, I didn't really feel motivated to go to university to spend a lot of time and money on having a piece of paper that said I could achieve something. That that was my mindset at that time. And I, I went into industry, as I say, more as a, a sort of salesperson more than anything else, but quickly right. my path towards being more of a, a technical guy. And college is free but is university um is the student responsible to pay their way through university yeah you you typically would get some form of loan 
to help tide you over for the duration. I mean, there's fees per year, then there's living costs that come into it. I mean, university is a great thing. It's a massive experience for people. Uh, I mean, right now, obviously, given the, the interesting times around COVID-19, possibly not the greatest time to be a student, because in the UK, at least, there's this huge amounts of lockdown having gone on in terms of student halls, the freshers <laughs> become virtual versus the, the traditional sort of physical, let's everybody go party. Yeah. Um, Bit of so, an understatement to say possibly not the best time. <laughs> well, you know me, right? I like to understand it was uh, so so challenging for them there, and I, I, you know, hats off to people for that right now. It's 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 challenging for everybody. I know that. Um, but yeah, you, you have to pay uh, a fee per year in terms of to do your tuition. Then you have your your costs of living effectively that come alongside that as well. Right, right. Yeah, that's one of the things in the U.S. It's like, oh, well, you have free college in in uh, England, and it's like, well, it's. Um it's not exactly what you're thinking, you know, uh, cause we have free schooling through age 18 as well, but it's, it, it's not anyway, it's different, but, um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you. You went straight into industry after, uh, three years of, of college. And I've met quite a few high performers who skipped, whether it be university in the, you know, in the European, uh, European setting or what we'd call college in the U S um, didn't get a, a four-year degree, I guess. And I'm, as I look back on my own experience, I wonder, knowing what I know now, I'd, I'd be tempted to just skip college altogether and go get some certifications and start in technology. But um, do you have any thoughts or comments on on why, maybe it's just small sample size, but it seems like some of the people who I know who are in tech that did not get a degree, a, a university level degree tend to do very, very well. in, in my experience, I think it, it's a really interesting point you make because there is possibly a mindset difference. And the reason that I say that is people like myself, I, I've always been incredibly self-motivated to go and achieve what I want to achieve. And, and if I set myself a goal of what I want to do, I will typically go and get it. I, I don't like failing. Uh, and a lot of people I know uh, are in that mindset as well. And a lot of those people are ones, as you say, that haven't gone and uh, maybe done that sort of tertiary degree of education, the, the four-year degree, as you say. So, And that's not to, to cast any aspersions on people with degrees to say they haven't got any of that motivation because obviously they've got to go and do that themselves to do three, four years worth of education additional. Um, but I just think it's perspectives are different realistically. So for me uh, and several people I know, it's, it's more a case of I wanted to be out in the world doing things uh, rather than maybe being in a classroom. And it, it was for me, I think more the social, side of things in terms of being an industry interacting with all these different flavors of people from all walks of life that really broadened my horizons and, and made me realize that there were so many things in the world that i wouldn't necessarily have appreciated as much if i'd gone to university it probably would have been um no doubt fun because hey you, you can't argue against some of the fun that you can have in university and college but at the same token i felt i could learn more from as we might say the university of life sure so 
After uh, getting to know a little bit about your origin story, I typically like to ask about uh, father figures. So um, could you tell me a little about your father and maybe one thing that he uh, really nailed as a father? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's actually a really interesting one because it was not that long. It was just over a year ago that dad passed away, sadly. Um, little Sorry to hear that. It's okay, man. It, it, it's life, right? It's uh, It's unfortunate, but it happened. Um, but he, he was, he was a great guy. He, he actually helped me a lot and I don't think I've already told him enough just how much he helped me, um, in terms of being able to sift through what was relevant and what wasn't. And there's actually a quote that I remember from a Stephen King book, uh, called Insomnia which was, uh, it's a long way to Eden, sweetheart, so don't sweat the small stuff. And that that always stuck with me because it was something that my dad would say as well in terms of don't sweat the small stuff. It, it's very, very easy to get so buried in something that you can't see the wood for the trees. And perspective is something he taught me in terms of take a step back, breathe, Take a fresh set of eyes. If you're struggling with a problem, sleep on it. You'll probably come up with the answer overnight sort of thing. And mm. he was he was really good in that regard. He was really good. That's good. Yeah, good. It's helpful to have someone who can give you a fresh set of eyes on those perspectives. Absolutely. So um, tell me about some of your hobbies. When you've got some spare time, what do you like to do? <laughs> having spare time would have been uh, an interesting one but given where we're at right now there is obviously a plethora of spare time that people have got so uh there's a whole raft of things in fairness i really really enjoy reading uh learning new skills in terms of looking through uh, new technology aspects looking at where the the world is heading reading up on series like science that sort of thing um i i still enjoy Football, uh, and I mean that as in proper football. So you know that thing where there's this round ball that you use with your feet, yeah. carrying. Who, who's uh, your soccer team? Yeah, oh Manchester United. <laughs> okay, always has been, always will be. Man, you. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I, I used to live right by Old Trafford for for many years actually in Manchester. It was, uh, yeah, it was fun. That was awesome. Those were awesome times. Um, used to go and see them on a regular basis which was always exciting there at the theater of dreams but um yeah football soccer uh basketball actually i do still enjoy basketball um i i've been a chicago bulls fan since the sort of late 80s sort of 87 88 uh, so really really enjoyed what they've done they've not been quite as good since then but uh how are you ever really going to tap off the days of jordan pippin rodman right um so that's good sports in terms of cricket i actually quite enjoy cricket which may seem funny to some people because it's a bizarre sport but uh it's, it's a great thing to actually sit there and have a pint and watch the day drift by as somebody's hitting leather on willow uh music believe it or not music is a huge huge part of my life i tie memories to music i have 
times when I, I want to to get, uh, should we say, into a certain frame of mind in terms of I've got a big project coming up or I've, I've got a big meeting I need to go into and I want to be on top of my game, I'll, I'll play some form of uplifting music. And bizarrely enough, that can be all sorts of different things. It can be rock, it can be classical, it can be pop, it can be indie. And it's amazing, to me at least, how the mind, or at least my mind, uh, can make connections between memories and, and music. So lying there, for example, at the night time, thinking I want to just chill before I want to go to bed and just see what's going on in the world, and I don't want to stick on Netflix and see something. Um, other streaming services are available, of course, not sponsored by Netflix. Um, and I'll, I'll just stick some music on and lie there, eyes closed, and it, it just brings back floods of memories, depending on the song that's on. And I, I, I've, you know, the past few months when I've been doing that, it's, it's bizarre. I just have memories sort of flooding back from 20 plus years ago of, of evenings spent with friends, just chilling out and parties that we've been to and adventures we've been on. And yeah, I, I just find that sort of thing really interesting and really, it's really quite intriguing, as I say, how that sort of hook between music and memory and also emotion sort of gets tied together. Yeah. I, when I put on some rock songs from the early two thousands, it reminds me of high school and I feel 16 again and <laughs> I don't have anything to be like mad about, but I just feel like a urge to kind of scream a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's just remembering that, you know, you were there, you could have had a lot more fun then than you realized you should have had. And we <laughs> to where we are now. It's like, yeah, okay. But another key thing, never have regrets. How do you go about uh, never have regrets? To me, that sounds like um, words that I don't really know how to put into practice. Uh, I don't disagree with you. And it's, it's something that someone mentioned to me a few years ago now. Um, this is whole thing about whether I made the right decision or the wrong decision. And, and when I say I, I mean we, the royal we, we all have this thought process of have you made the right decision at the right time? And he told me quite clearly, uh, the decision you made at that time is always the right decision at that time. The outcome might not be what you expected it to be, but it was the right decision at that time. And you, you made that choice. And what happens is what happens. So when you do things you might say things you might do things you might change things it, it's easier said than done but you've got to try and not have regrets about something that maybe didn't go quite right or maybe you feel that you you didn't give your all or the outcome might have just gone completely horribly wrong compared to what you expected but you can't regret it because life is, and I'm probably going to get a bit philosophical now, so bear with me. Um, life is a series of experiences uh, and it, it's a story. So when you move from chapter to chapter, there, there is going to be some form of experience that may be good, it may be bad. It, it is the nature of the beast. And life has a way of giving you what you need, not necessarily what you want. Big, big difference there between needs and wants. But it's it's that sort of 
perspective now that I, I think I've started to to work on developing more because life is something to be treasured. It's like when I when I lost dad last year, or when we and my family lost dad last year. Um, it, it took me a long, long time to actually process what happened. Um, because it, it can be pretty challenging. I, I, it was the first time I'd, I'd lost a member of my family, uh, other than grandparents, of course. And they passed when I was very, very young. So it wasn't really something I was used to dealing with as an adult. And it stuck with me for, for a long time just without me knowing it. So it took a long time for me to be able to, to face what had happened and process what had happened. But when I did, it was actually a bit cathartic in a way. It, it, it felt that I had lifted a bit of a weight off my shoulders. And it was one of those things, as I say, it was that, that chapter closed. Dad, dad moved on. Dad, dad wasn't here anymore. So that chapter closed on, on the chance of being involved in his life and him being involved in mine directly. He obviously will live on yeah. and such. But um, the no regrets piece is, I guess, a multiple multitude of different things. Um, that, thank you for clarifying. That makes more sense now. And I would say I agree with that, with the caveat that it sounds like you're saying no regrets as long as you made the best choice you could at the time, given what you knew, then don't beat yourself up about if the outcome wasn't what you hoped for. But I could certainly think of times where someone maybe knowingly made a, a poor choice. And I'd say that would be a caveat, but I think kind of a different direction than what we're getting at with the, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No regret. The yeah. Right choice or the best choice you can at that time with the information you have available. Yeah. Okay. If you only make the wrong choice, well, hey, that's on you, right? But <laughs> yeah. if it's if it's the something that you, you've you've put time and effort and consideration into, even if it's been just a, a real quick snapshot that's come to you, um, you will typically process what information you have and make a decision accordingly. And you know, go with your gut. Certainly, one thing, but. There was actually a phrase that someone used to use back in the day. Chris Dedicote was very, very fond of the phrase, knowledge, confidence, risk. So the more knowledge you have, the more confident you are, the more confident you are, the more happy you are, or not happy, but the more able you are to take risks and achieve outcomes. And I've tried to keep that in mind as well when I, I make decisions. Mm. Yeah. Take the risky shot when you have the knowledge and confidence to back you up. Absolutely. Cool. So tell me um, if you're someone who gives away, has, has, or uh, currently gives away books as a gift, what is the book you've given away most? And uh, if not, then just tell me about one or two books that have greatly influenced your life. Yeah. So I, I don't really give books all that regularly. Um, it's, People I know sometimes struggle to have time to sit down and read a book these days. I mean, I, I still think that there is nothing better than having a true book in your hands, the smell of the paper, um, that the fact that they, they age, they, they have a degree of culture around them when you pick them back up off the shelf. Mm. But uh, in terms of books that have, have really influenced my life, um, there's a lot of them, in all honesty. Um, 
But one of the recent ones I, I was reading, uh, a guy called Ant Middleton, uh, who was a member of the Special Forces here in the UK, um, he put together a book. And that was really interesting to hear about the storyboard that was involved there and his life and such. That that was just stunning. Um, mm. Then if I pivot slightly, reading some of the sort of history biographies out there in terms of certain certain characters. I mean, Alan Turing, for example, I, I've read a bit about him, seen some of the uh, biographies around him as well, and it's just like amazing some of the things that they were doing then. Yeah. And it's very much, I, I really enjoy that from a, a history perspective or, or a people perspective in terms of their their successes, their resilience in terms of mental fortitude, should we say. Um, and also, I, I like to, to sort of go off tangent a little bit too. And I, I'm really into my sci-fi. And I'll put my hands up and say, yes, I'm absolutely a stereotypical geek. Um, but I, I love things like the, the TV show on, on Amazon Prime, uh, The Expanse. Absolutely adore that series. And the books. The books are amazing. They, they are just incredibly well written and so immersive as an environment that I, I can easily lose hours just reading through these books. And it's almost dangerous in a way because you don't realize what time it is when you're reading them of an evening and, and suddenly you look down and go, oh, right, so it's gone past midnight. I should probably stop now. <laughs> tomorrow, that sort of thing. Sure. Tell me about something you've bought in the last six to 12 months that was under 100 bucks that was your best purchase. Wow. You know, that is that is a really tricky one. Um I think, uh, and this is going to sound really strange, I think it's actually my QI charger for my phone because I use my phone a lot, as you can probably imagine in this day and age, right? We, we yeah, are does. constantly yeah. glued to them, right? And I, I sort of got really fed up with the whole having to plug these things in to charge them up and constantly doing it. And if someone rang you, you'd, you might forget that you're plugged in and you start to walk away and suddenly get pulled back uh, because you've forgotten you're attached to the wall socket. Uh, and having the option now, I mean, I, I, I use the QI charger all the time. I just prop it up by my desk and my phone is charging. And if, if I need to be on a call, I can just press the button. And it's, if I want to say a FaceTime, I'm, I'm just talking quite happily on the angle, hands-free, and it's charging at the same time. And it's not as if it's lying flat on the the desk or the, the table and I've got to prop it up on something else. It's, it's there. And it's, it's actually a really neat small investment that I made. I was, I was actually quite pleasantly surprised by that. Good. Yeah. It makes a noticeable difference in your daily life. It certainly does. Tell me about a failure or significant obstacle that's been in your path that actually set you up for later success. I would probably go to, you remember I said I had nine interviews with Cisco? Yeah. Uh, I, I think- oh, Really really kicking the tires on you. <laughs> oh, wow. absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, 
this is it wasn't so much of a uh, failure it was it was more the the obstacle piece and I, I was going through the interview process and I, I can look back at it now and, and laugh and, and soak and the other guys that were involved but uh, during the process that somebody said oh, we, we need to reevaluate if Russ is technical enough for the role and I actually took that as a bit of like, oh, hold on, you, you don't think I'm technical? Wow, that's that burns, man. That's that's like wow. And I had to go through another round of technical interviews. And in, instead of letting me get hit by that and think, oh man, that's that's awful. I'm not very good. I took that as a challenge to say, prove you that good. So I. I took the step back to say, right, what's the scenario that I'm going to do to prove that I'm this good? Am I going to let it define me as a negative or am I going to let it drive me to be the best I can be? Mm. And I, I chose the latter. And I, I just continued that sort of thought process really since then. It, it was a real motivator for me to say, well, no, I am good at what I do. And every now and again, I mean, everybody gets those sort of dark days or down days when they think, hmm, maybe I'm not as good as I'd like to think I am. Um, being able to look back and say, actually, no, keep going, you're good, is, is actually quite an important thing. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? That's a really good one. What important truth do few people agree with me on? Do you know, I really don't know. I, I like to try and get on with everybody, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fine. We can skip that one. Yeah, um, it's a good what one. Is, what's something you've changed your mind on in the last five years? Wow. Yeah, that one is... It's a big one. Uh, so my son turned five in September. And I wasn't sure how good I would be as a father. Uh, and, and I don't know if that's something that every dad goes through when they're, they're sort of expecting a child, but I just really wasn't sure if I'd be a good dad or not, uh, or if I'd even be cut out to be a dad, really. But I would say since he was born, uh, just... My, my world has taken a very different view. Um, it's changed my outlook. It's changed my perspective. It's, uh, it's very much changed my mind on, on life in general. And yeah. In what ways? Well, I, I was really quite sort of narrow-minded, if you will. I didn't really look at the impact the future could have for him. Well, for me, in fact, at the time before DJ came along, um, I wasn't really looking to the future. It's like things like uh, climate change, global warming, um, recycling, things like that. It wasn't really something that came top of mind. It was like, yeah, it's something we need to do. Yeah, we'll do it. And then when he came along, it was like, well, hold on a second. You know, the, the world is a big place and it needs to be looked after because if, if I want my son to have the best possible life over time, then there's a whole raft of things that need to change, which I can maybe have a, a, an impact on my own around, but also 
I, I can't have a massive impact on, but I can be part of the contribution to the resolution. So being able to give him something to look forward to in the future, being able to say, you know, you can go and see the park, you can go and walk in the fields, you can go and swim in the sea, that sort of thing. That that really was something I changed my mind on in terms of he he helped me open my eyes a little bit, shall we say. Yeah. It, was, it was realized that instead of just constantly looking down at what's just in front of you, raise your head a little bit and look towards the horizon. All right. You mentioned sci-fi and your new charger, but um, those aren't weird enough. So what is an un unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? An unusual habit or an absurd thing that I love. Um, I'm not sure if this counts as unusual or absurd enough, but I am an addict to Call of Duty games. Uh, okay. I absolutely adore Call of Duty Team Deathmatch. Um, just, it, it's my, my go-to. It's one of the ways I like to, to relax and unwind. Um, it, it actually brings out my competitive streak a lot, which is also probably a bit of an antithesis in terms of being this whole relaxing idea, it drives my competitive edge a bit. But uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at some of the advances that are done in, in that sort of gaming world on a regular basis. And I, I like to, to pit my wits against it, that sort of thing in terms of get into a, a live environment. There's lots of people. Um, you, you get to see how certain people's behavior goes and, and it's, it's really good fun. It's just one of those things. It's a, it's an interesting thing to get involved in and, and enjoy playing. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's just that competitive edge piece. Mm. So you mentioned you have a five-year-old boy. Um, what are some things you're learning as a dad in the last year or two? One of the things always be learning and another always, always be ready to be amazed. And he, he constantly amazes me. Uh, his outlook on life, I mean, it's the sheer innocence of youth, right? I mean, you've got kids as well. You, you know how they've got a very unique outlook on things. And it's interesting the way that they perceive things. So things like your pets, you, you know, you, you take your pet for granted for a while, but then they're like, no, no, I, uh, no, I, I don't like that pet. It's my pet now. No, no, it's my pet now. Or uh, I, I, I don't like this sort of food. And then five minutes later, oh, it's the best thing ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, what, what? How, how did you get managed to do that but okay i get the opposite of that a lot where they it's all of a sudden you know some switch flipped and and they hate mac and cheese or whatever it was you know it's like where did this come from yeah. he loved it cheese my boy loves it he loves it and cake actually anything cake he's like oh yeah i'm in <laughs> yeah that one's probably pretty firmly in the love it category oh yes that's definitely in the win column what would you say? I, I feel like no no parent should feel like they're just crushing it in every uh, area. But what's what's one thing that you could say like I'm nailing that as a parent? I would say it's the relationship side. Um, 
when I was younger, I didn't really have a, a great relationship with my dad because he was working a lot doing what he was doing. And I was brought up by mum a lot more than I was my dad. Um, I would say the same thing in terms of my son has, has really been raised a lot more by my wife than I, because I obviously, as you know, spent a lot of time traveling with work and such. So I haven't necessarily been able to be at home as much as I wanted to be. But the interactions we've had and, and it's, you know, the advent of technology like FaceTime or Zoom, WebEx, you name sort of collaboration tools of choice uh, means that the world is flat now. And it's no longer just something that's held in the bastions of industry. It's consumable. So, I mean, my, my boy's got his own iPad. We, we can FaceTime and we, we do connect. And it's, it's actually really awesome to see him and, and get that. Hey, Daddy, how are you? And what have you been doing, Daddy? What, what are, what's interesting for you today, Daddy? And asking him the same sort of questions and just having fun um together right it may be that we're, we're not able to be together physically um but when we aren't we're still communicating uh, and that to me is really really important being able to communicate like i said earlier two ears one mouth being able yeah. to that in it's, it's really really important it's interesting how with technological advances it's so easy for us to look at the negative and and see how it's like drawn us apart but at the same time to be able to call someone on the exact opposite side of the world virtually for free and do a you know video call or even just a phone call or text at any time 24 7 like that kind of connectivity was the stuff of dreams um 50 or a hundred or, you know, any time further than that in, in the history. So, um, it is, it's something we take for granted, you know, just to be able to text your son or call him and, and, and chat. It's pretty awesome. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's just, it's one of those things that you just think, how could I have done without this? Yeah. And your son is pretty young, so he's only five. I like to ask guests about how they, go about teaching mental toughness and accountability and ownership to their kids um still very early on you know really young but are, do you have any uh anything you're already implementing or or maybe something you plan to introduce over time uh that could be general philosophies or a program or whatever but what's what's your thoughts on helping the kid develop mental toughness and accountability well it's you're absolutely right of course they, they are critical things for kids to learn um things like uh sharing is an important aspect things like realizing that you don't always get your own way uh so like i said before in terms of life gives you what you need not what you want um when you're a kid you, you don't realize that right you, you want that toy or you want that cookie or you want x or y or z um, you're not necessarily going to get it. And if you don't, you feel it's the end of the world is nigh sort of scenario. So being able to talk it through and say, yeah, you, you can get upset. That's fine. But let's rationalize that for a second and say, okay, um, you, you didn't get that. And this is why. Um, it could be, 
I don't know, maybe the store didn't have what you wanted us to buy in terms of a toy or a, a bit of food. They didn't have any in. But here, have something different in terms of food. Uh, in terms of the, the toy side of things, it's like, I, I don't know what you're like with your kids, but my, my boy has an overwhelming amount of toys, or so it seems. I don't think there's that many, but it just seems like it at times. Right. And Especially when you step on a Lego. Mm. It really does come keen, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you know you've done it. Um, I think the only thing I've ever found more painful than a Lego to tread on is a, uh, a British plug, the three-prong plug. That that really Ooh. does have a way of getting into the foot. And uh, your plug, like wall, uh, I don't know what you call it, but uh, just a plug. Yeah, and those are heavy duty compared to like the ones in the states. If you stepped on it, it'd be uncomfortable, but that thing would like bend. But yours stand firm be like "Mm -mm, i'm gonna just pierce your foot (laughs) pretty much like oh oh, that's where the plug is now i remember um (laughs) so yeah sort of tangent there a bit uh the the toy side of things he he, for a while was like no no i i want all my toys forever and he he's gotten to the point where he's like no no it's okay someone else can have those toys that's fine that's awesome and it's yeah, it's 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 impressive to see the uh, the evolution of, of the thinking and, and the approach to things, and it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, he every time we're together and we talk and we 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 cover anything off, it's I cannot help but have this massive smile on my face because he's just awesome. Of course, I am biased, but he is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, kids are amazing. It, it's uh, they're also a handful and drive me nuts, and sometimes can't stand them. But they are <laughs> on balance; they're amazing. <laughs> um, so tell me when you feel overwhelmed, when you're anxious or mad, or just generally having a bad day. How do you get out of it? Wow, that one is awesome. Yeah, it's. It's sometimes one of those things that can be really tricky. Uh, I, I generally try not to get too overwhelmed or anxious with things, but well, especially things like recently, we've obviously got COVID hanging around. That That's given me degrees of anxiety because as I was mentioning to you when we spoke the other day, uh, my wife and boy aren't here in the UK right now due to challenges in terms of where they are and being unable to travel back to the UK. So it's it's been a long period of time since we were together physically. Um, so anxiety about them, anxiety about the whole scenario of COVID in terms of, you know, that, that thing is, well, it's not nice by any stretch of the imagination. So it, it's causing a huge change of people's mindsets and seeing A, how they're going to live and what they're going to do. And sort of trying to be able to rationalize that anxiety has been a challenge to a point being able to say well how do i reframe the perspective of these things and and i've done it It, it's taken a little bit of thinking but you know you do it because you have to um when it comes to things like work for example i mean you know as well as i do that that there's never enough hours in the day uh you always want to give 110 percent and be the best you can be or be all you can be and sometimes you, you get to that feeling where you've not been able to do what you wanted to do on that any given day and 
being able to to stand back and say, okay, I might not have achieved all the objectives I wanted to in that day. And that could be, you, you might not have been able to read this particular document, or you, you might not have been able to get a specific answer for that customer at that time that you wanted to versus their time frame. But it's it's being able to, to turn around and shut the door on things and say, do you know what? I've done everything I can do. And I've done really well with it. Okay, maybe I haven't achieved everything that I wanted to do in that particular period of time, but I've done some good things. I've done some great things and it'll still be there in the morning. Yeah, definitely wisdom in that. And I think especially for someone from your mindset who is prone to be probably working your, your, your balance is, am I working too much or, or, um, or the, the right amount? Whereas some people who need a kick in the pants, uh, they're like, yeah, I'll do it in the morning. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, you're, uh, that's one, what I want to share with anyone listening is just that, uh, that's great to remember, put it in the morning for, for those who are, uh, overachievers. So, um, good, good to balance and, and take your time. Yeah. Well, I remember that project you and I were talking about right at the beginning. Um, that that eighty million dollars worth of project, the uh, the timelines on that were were aggressive from memory, and I, I think it was I, I flew back to the UK on the Thursday, landed sort of late afternoon, worked through until the midnight, was up again seven a.m. on the Friday, and I think I wrapped around two a.m. on the Saturday morning. Uh, then back up again. Uh, I think I had a lie in. It was like 9am I started on the Saturday, but I had it all nailed down by about midday Saturday. And it was one of those things that I, I wanted to get it done, but that whole thing of not enough hours in the day and balancing that with being all you can be in terms of making sure the effort you put in translates to the quality that comes out. And if, if you end up working, uh, say, let's say, too many hours in one stint on something, you can end up missing things or you, you can end up uh, potentially not doing quite as well as you should have done or wanted to do because you've maybe overexerted in something. And, yeah, you know, not having that sort of clarity of mind per se. So being able to take those breaks, stepping away from something for a second it is really important. Yeah, because we had a what would normally be a you know three month process, we were condensing down into like two and a half weeks or something, and so um, you had the ball. You know, really, it's a it's like a a relay race where there's um, at, at that point, you know, it's kicking it off. You're designing the architecture. You've you've got the baton, and you're you've got to run as fast as you can. Um, and then the baton sort of splits and goes off to two or three people at that point. But what you do is critical. And so you're, you're being helpful to the team so that other people don't have to carve out of their time later. Um, but also not just saying like, all right, I could do it in, I can stay up for, you know, 20 hours straight and I'll get it done. Um, but then you're not going to design the right architecture. You know, you've got to, take some time to sleep a little bit in there, uh, but still get it done in record time. So that was yeah. honestly, we did, we had some pretty good teamwork on that, that worked on. That was a good one. Yeah, we did. That, that was, that was really good. It. I really enjoyed that. And uh, well, I'm sure you remember that I, I 
generally like to have quite a good level of attention to detail um yeah. <laughs> trying to make sure i tick all the right boxes and make sure it's moving in the right direction so it's uh not not so much slow and steady wins the race as an ethos but take your time be accurate in what you're doing and good things come yeah be accurate fast take your time all at once <laughs> um so as we'll wrap up the last few questions here, uh, when you look out to the future, tell me one thing that you feel optimistic about. I think there's a few things in reality. I mean, optimistic that uh, the whole COVID-19 scenario is going to get resolved uh, and going to get resolved in, in the not too distant future and people can get back to living somewhat normal lives should we say or as normal as we were used to previously I'm, I'm optimistic that will happen uh i'm optimistic that uh the world our kids are, are in and others kids are going to come into is going to be awesome for them because i'm sure like me you you don't want anything potentially negative or nasty to happen to our kids no one ever does right but i'm optimistic that they're going to have fun and it's going to be a great world for them to get brought up in and an experience. And I, I'm also optimistic that they're going to have opportunities that you and I didn't, for example. I mean, we're, we're living, as we said, in really interesting times in terms of technology being uh, a great enabler to achieve things like the world being flat and being able to communicate from one side to the other by pressing a button at low to no cost. And being Wait, able to so have is the world flat? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, it, geographically and uh, <laughs> it's really low, uh, but in terms of the, you know, that obviously personal opinion, you know, don't at me, but that's a personal opinion. We're on the road. Um, but th there is obviously a school of thought that that might not be the case. And, and hey, <laughs> everyone is entitled to an opinion. Yeah. Uh, but from a communication piece, absolutely. I mean, you and I know, again, sort of all the projects we worked on, you know, any time, day or night, we were on calls. Uh, really early mornings, really late at night, all across the globe. And we, we had those truly international teams that were being brought together. So, yeah, the, the world is flat. It really is. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you have any shows or podcasts you want to recommend to others? You mentioned the sci-fi one earlier. Mention that one again. And then if there's anything you want to add to it, tell Absolutely us. The Expanse, without a shadow of a doubt, that is my favorite show um, in terms of current show, in fairness. Um, historical ones, uh, and this is uh, sort of UK humor at its best. Uh, there was a TV show called Allo Allo, uh, which was set in sort of World War II time France, uh, occupied territory, and the resistance was in there. And it, it was just such fantastic comedy at that time that they were bringing to the table. It was, it was absolutely hilarious. And, and that, when you look at, I guess, the time that that was around, I'm, I'm thinking sort of 80s sort of time, um, there was some just superb comedy there. So, hello, hello, uh, Only Fools and Horses, again, uh, a, a British institution, if I'm honest. Del Boy and Rodney, the Trotters, they, they are 
legends uh, and just such such great writing and comedy in there as well. Um, and then flipping again to sort of where we're at today, sort of shows that are there. Um, I'm, I'm not so much watching live television these days. I'm, I'm probably one of those people that's starting to delve more into the on-demand and, and enjoy that in a much greater fashion and just sticking to a rigid uh, sort of showtime setup. Um, obviously, I've said the expanse in there, but there's also things like Star Trek Discovery. I, I've actually, to begin with, as, as being like a, a real Trekkie, uh, I wasn't sure what to make of it, but it's grown on me massively. And yeah, I, I really like it. In fact, the new series just came out recently. So I've yet, I'm just about to finish series two and I'm really looking forward to series three. Cool. What is a good cause that you wish more people knew about? Wow. Uh, a good cause that I wish people knew about. Uh, there are so many in fairness and it's, it's difficult to isolate one because they all do these wonderful things. So the, the one cause that, that leaps out for me in fairness, and this is because my niece, she's, she's 10 years old. Um, she's been really struggling at the fact that her grandfather, my, my dad passed on. And when we had his funeral, there was obviously the collection sort of scenario at the end of it. Um, was was split between two charities. One was uh, Greyhound Rescue locally because Dad was a, a huge fan of uh, rescue greyhounds, uh, and also the uh, Midlands Air Ambulance. So basically, the uh, the medivac helicopters, in essence, that you guys have. Um, hmm. it, it's very much uh, an area that is I wouldn't necessarily say underfunded per se, but it's a really uh, let's say taken for granted assets, which, you know, it costs money to make happen. Yeah. And my niece, as I say, is 10 years old, uh, struggled in terms of my, my dad passing, her granddad passing. And she, she has decided to take it upon herself to identify how to raise funds for the Midlands air ambulance charity. So what she's done is, um, effectively wooden offcuts that were uh, from local um, manufacturing areas uh, of, of all the different bits of wood for making furniture, that sort of thing. She's recycling that or upcycling that, I should say. And she's decided to make Christmas decorations. So she's made uh, snowmen, she's made Santa, she's, she's made all these different things. And, and they look really cute in fairness. She's done really, really well. But she's doing that to raise funds for this air ambulance piece. A, because my dad was a fan, and B, because that's a, a fantastic cause that is really helping to make a difference to people's lives because that sort of rapid response can make a huge difference between life and death. Yeah, no doubt. My my dad uh, got into a serious surfing accident and had to go on a helicopter life flight. And, um, wow. And just, uh, I want to say is in the last week, I saw a video of this new jet pack that, um, 
someone can control that's being like piloted right now for uh, an you know air ambulance service so that because there's a lot of places where a helicopter can't get to you know in a ravine or um you know certain conditions that this uh it's basically one person would go and they can go and pick somebody up and strap them on and and uh fly them um to you know i don't know if it'd be a helicopter or a hospital but um anyway pretty cool to see advancements in that area because that's uh, a good cause absolutely we've just got visions of iron man for some reason exactly that's what it, it was they uh that was even in part of the title of the video it was like a uh, iron man like suit it's pretty cool that that does sound awesome and again right it's it's advancement in in the world of technology yeah russ we have had a very wide-ranging conversation is there anything else we should have uh, covered that we didn't hit the only thing i would say uh stay grounded in terms of life is is all about people friends family acquaintances work colleagues you name it stay humble stay grounded and try and always have a smile on your face i like that thank you for coming thanks for being a good man thanks for being a good dad um for anyone who wants to reach out to you where can people find you well well first of all thank you for having me and thank you for the invite I, i've really enjoyed chatting with you sean it's been been far too long in fairness um anybody who wants to, to look me up uh i'm on linkedin just uh russell vaughn you can find me on there r-u-s-s-e-l-l vaughn um and also on twitter r-u-v-a-u-g-h-a uh obviously all tweets my own not not endorsed by the company they're all me so uh, not not representative of their thoughts and such, but yeah, that's me. I'm I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, and uh, yeah, just hook me up, say hello. Thanks, man. Appreciate you coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me, Sean. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling someone about the podcast. You could talk to someone or send a text message. You could even fold them a sweet origami swan that has dad conversations written inside it. Or you could share an episode on social media, maybe even write a review of the podcast on your podcasting app. If you think the podcast sucks, that's totally cool. And I want to know why. Please send me any constructive criticism, such as a new question you'd like me to ask or a request to stop saying um. Also, feel free to send unconstructive hate mail or whatever's on your mind. You can find me at Sean Radvansky on LinkedIn or DM Dad Conversations on Twitter. Whatever you do, I hope you have a great day.